Welcome back to Oregon Music News Coffee Shop Conversations. As always, that coffee shop is World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason. I'm OMN editor Tom D'Antoni. Also, as always, unless I decide to change my name. With me today is Ron Blessinger, the musical director of the internationally known Third Angle New Music Ensemble. I first met him a long time ago when I wrote and produced a TV story on their production of several compositions by Steve Reich, which included a visit from Reich to work with them. It was an experience that neither one of us will ever forget. Me and Blessinger, that is. Upcoming Coffee Shop Conversations will include musician, dancer, multi-culti practitioner Belinda Underwood, pianist, composer Ramsey Embick, entertainment attorney Peter Von Shaver, singer Christy Lane, and bluesman Lloyd Jones. Let's talk with Ron Blessinger. Welcome to the cupping room. It's nice to be here, Tom. <laughs> before we, and I hate to do this because it, it indicates that we were talking about things before I turned the machine on, but we do that. Yes. Uh, we, we're looking up at, I was I mentioned to you that Laura Ivins, he looked up at this mural up here on the wall and said mm -hmm. that she was the tiger, and then you said, Who, which one are you? <laughs> well, I'm the leopard that, that's licking the cup rather lasciviously. <laughs> I think <laughs> to get as much caffeine as possible. Yeah, really, yes. <laughs> Direct infusion, right into the, the tongue cells. So you just came from the Schnitz. Yes, indeed. Where you were doing what? We were rehearsing for the symphony's uh, gala uh, tonight. Uh huh. Um, the big gala uh, fundraiser, and actually this year the symphony has really done a really smart thing and made it about honoring. Uh, important people that are important to the orchestra and uh, volunteers and, and others who are affected by and influenced and positively influenced and affected by the symphony's operations. So that's uh, going to be a big night for the orchestra. And what were you rehearsing? whole bunch of overtures. Really? Yeah, Verdi and Dvorak and a whole bunch of stuff that has a lot of notes in it that flies right by. <laughs> Didn't you want to play the rest of the piece? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I think opera always works best when it wraps up in five minutes or less. <laughs> well, you know, the Bugs Bunny cartoon, they, they, they told the whole ring cycle in about six minutes. Uh, so, you know, and that, that's about right, I think. <laughs> that's funny. So are, are, which, which violin are you? Well, I'm as, uh, in the section, the violin section yeah. in the orchestra, and these days we rotate between first and violin, second violin sections. So we could sit anywhere practically within the orchestra, within really? the violin section. Yeah. Uh -huh. And all the string sections do that at this point. There's no hierarchy anymore? Come on. Well, there is, but it's not in terms of how we sit. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh. uh, well, I mean, that, that's a little joke. I mean, these days the orchestra is playing so well, and the... the the morale is wonderful, and the esprit de corps, which I guess is the same thing. Yeah. Um, and um, it was about oh, about 13, 14 years ago where we decided as a as an orchestra to have rotating strings, and and that was just a very very positive development. So it works for everybody. What did that do for you? Well, it got me out of the back. <laughs> 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 um, well, and not just me. I mean, at this point, I've been in the orchestra for 25 years. Um, I would be near the front at this point yeah. if the old uh, uh, system was still in place. Uh -huh. 
But I recognized then, and uh, the whole orchestra did too, that you know, as the orchestra was turning over and the and new players were coming in, we didn't want people to feel like they they were part of an archaic system that had people having to just buy their time and just stuck in the back of a section for years. And so um, this is, I think, a very enlightened way to do it. And you should know that, that some orchestras actually have a seating uh, system where first come, first serve. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which I think is kind of cool. I mean, get, you, to get in line, like line right. up the night before, like you're going to a tour Right, concert. right. Well, and you know, you might think that people would, would think, oh, you know, I really want to get there first so I can set up near the front. But yeah. I think actually the opposite would have been the case. Really? Yeah. You know, we want to sit as far back as possible. So Why? We're, well, so we're far enough away from the conductor. He can't tell how bad we're screwing up. <laughs> <laughs> so does the responsibility change the further no. forward you get? No. Well, it's actually easier to play the further forward you are because you're you're closer to the other sections and just in terms of ensemble, it's always easier to be have a, a proximity to the other other uh -huh. sections. The further away you get, the the more you have to really be on your toes and anticipate just a little bit, you know, your entrances and your rhythm so that that you're you're just not lagging. I mean, you know, a, a orchestra string section functions like a train, you know, like a, a train with a whole bunch of boxcars. You know, the the first train, the the engine kind of takes off, and then it's gradually by the end, you know, there, there's a bit of a lag time. Huh? Um, really? Yeah. Wow. A little bit. There always is, and so part of playing. Not that the audience would notice. Uh, well, the no, not necessarily. Right. Yeah. We we certainly do. Um, and and also just from side to side because the stage is huge, and it isn't yeah. just within the orchestra. You know, sometimes. The people in the back of a violin section are, are having to react to the bass section, which is in you know 50 feet away, wow. and uh, so, and so we just part of the skill set of playing in an orchestra is understanding how really to make it all blend and be together and not be behind, wow. not be late, like Carlos says, "Nick schlepp." What does that mean? Don't wait. Don't be late. Oh, Nick schleppen. Yeah. <laughs> So we, we've we've come a long way in our German, <laughs> Carlos. Absolutely. <laughs> From the days when you were when you had to understand uh, a guy with a Baltimore accent. Right, <laughs> right. I should forget that. That's tough. That's that's impossible. Murray Sutherland, of course. Right. Yeah. Well, who went to the same high school as I did? Oh, really? Yes. That explains a lot. <laughs> Matter of fact, uh, I did a TV story on Murray. Mm -hmm. um, we sat, I, we sat in one of the, one of the parts of the story. We sat in it, uh, on his couch, and we talked to each other in Baltimore ease, the mm. Baltimore dialect. <laughs> and I put uh, subtitles up because nobody could understand us. Well, what what would you what would hey, be? Hey, you <laughs> Pardon me. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> coordination. How are you doing, hon? Which is a term of endearment, uh -huh. even to a guy. Oh, how, how you doing, hein? And um, is this a Dutch thing or? No, it's 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 a very lazy, um, <laughs> stupid thing. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so Murray and I always had fun with that. Uh huh. I see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Murray's a very, very dear friend. Um, I've done a lot of projects with Murray um, over the years at the Third Angle. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a great guy and a uh, great musician and very passionate about the causes that he takes. Oh, on. yeah. I spent, I spent a lot. I know you did. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time with him during 
uh, Defiant Requiem. Sure. I sure. shot dozens of tapes with him during right. that period. It was, it was pretty... It was, it's spectacular. It, it must have been even much more int intense for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, for, on, for several reasons. Um, uh, you know, for the orchestra, it was a huge, huge project. Yeah. And uh, uh, Murray was, of course, the driving force with it. Um, as a part of that Defiant Requiem uh, series of concerts, my group Third Angle did a project of chamber music composed by um, artists that perished in Theresienstadt. Yeah. So we had a small part as our organization, the larger kind of effort to to um, uh, bring to the public the story, the amazing story that the Defiant Requiem uh, told. But uh, it was, a, and and it goes on to this day. I mean, this has become Murray's life yeah. passion, and he yeah. heads a foundation that uh, yeah. continues to. Yeah, we hung out just a little bit when he was in town last time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> talk about the Orioles. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have. Yeah. Well. Oh yeah. There's a lot to talk about. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Um, uh, I was thinking um, about. The first time we encountered each other, which was yeah. pretty one of my, my my most favorite TV stories I ever did. Yes, indeed. Uh, was when Third Angle brought in Steve Reich. Yes. And that was pretty intense. Yes. <laughs> that was a very intense experience. <laughs> yes, you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> I always and you you guys were were apprehensive because of course you didn't want to fuck up. <laughs> right, because he would bite your head off, and, and yeah, and send you scurrying with your tail between your legs, and never to play again. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was there was a lot of apprehension, absolutely, uh, and it isn't just not wanting to fuck up. I mean, it, it, yeah, no one likes to be yelled at. No, no one yeah. likes to to yeah. feel like. Um, yeah, no one likes to feel like they're being treated like a small town, you know, person who doesn't know their group or whatever that doesn't know what they're doing. And 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 honestly, that that was a time when I think, at least in classical music, and in particular in my field of new contemporary classical music, where guys like Steve had not been making a habit of coming to Portland a lot. Yeah. And they didn't really know. He didn't know what to expect. Right. In terms of the musicianship. Right. So. He and also for the particular the, the centerpiece of that concert was music for eighteen musicians. Yeah, and that was a piece that had not been performed outside of Steve's own group of musicians before. Yeah. Yeah. So we were the first group to do that, and so it was like his baby, yeah. his precious thing that was now being released and given permission for others to play. Yeah. And so I can understand his apprehension. I really can. Well, the funny thing was, I realized that there was that you guys had this apprehension of yeah. what was going to happen, right? Sure. But as I watched him work with you guys, mm -hmm. I looked at him and went, "Oh, I know that guy. Yeah. He's just from New York, right? <laughs> He's just direct. He just knows what he wants. He might be a little blunt. Right. Might be a little blunt, but that's, right. that's I knew what was going on immediately, you know. Uh, yeah. and, and you must have also. Well, you weren't with me. When we walked over to the rehearsal, no, Steve and I, no, <laughs> and he was, and actually because you're, you know, doing the TV um, thing, uh, Steve had forgotten that we were going to have cameras there. Oh. He'd forgotten all that, okay. and when I reminded him on the way over, he was really pissed off. Oh, 
So, and he was like, no cameras, no, 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 it's not going to happen, not going to allow that, no, no, no. And I was, I was like, well, great, what am I going to tell these guys that are all set up and ready to go? And I said, listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. You know, I think Tom's a pretty good guy. <laughs> He's from Baltimore, don't know that against him. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll just tell Tom that, that once you're cool, then we'll, we'll start filming. Of course, I never told you that. No, you did not tell me that. <laughs> because I knew it would be fine. I, I knew exactly. He was. He didn't know if yeah. we were total idiots or not. And yeah. He might have had a point there. But uh, And so he was really, really apprehensive. He was the one. And then wow. he showed up. And then you could just see, and you can yeah. even see in the TV spot, how just at, but minute by minute he begins to relax and just enjoy yeah. it and begins to understand that the piece is in good hands. Yeah. And that was that was that comes through really clearly in the video. And there was other another magical moment that to me was really the turning point of the whole weekend, yeah. which is we we did a string quartet of his called Different Trains, and yes. we uh, sat down to play it. And I my players in the group we had steeled our nerves, yeah, uh, to not not know what to expect. What, what was kind the of instrumentation reaction? in that? The instrumentation of yeah. two violins, viola, and cello. Okay. It's a famous piece. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, it uses recorded um, um, interviews of uh, Holocaust survivors, um, and then famous Steve Reich uh, uh, compositional technique of taking the rhythm and the pitch of the voice and using that mimicked in the instruments uh -huh. to form the music. And so we play the piece for him. Very, he's right there, right next to us. And um, we finish playing, and I could see the other players in the group kind of, you know, nervous. And we look over at Steve, and he took off his glasses, and we're like, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> and, and he started to cry. Man. He said, greatest performance the piece he'd ever heard. And that, after that, he was our absolute best friend. Wow. He was stellar. And like you, you know, you, you, you know the type. You know the type of person that who's just a direct yeah. kind of East Coast kind of guy. And it's not the first time, you know, whether it's John Zorn or others that I've dealt uh -huh. with subsequent yeah. to that. Right. You know, people who are really passionate and just it has to be right. And if it's not right, I'm going to let you know. Right. Yeah. And that's just the style. That's just the personality. And, and at the end of the day, that's exactly who you want to work with. You know, one thing I always wondered about um, when I've gone back and looked at that piece is mm -hmm. he went over and talked to Thomas Svoboda. Yes, indeed. Did he know who Thomas Svoboda was? I don't think so. I didn't think so either. Not at all. And that was amazing to me. Yeah. Jeez, like, he's talking to Thomas Svoboda. For I know. God's sakes, you know. I know. <laughs> I know. And of course, Thomas was so was just nice about everything. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I I think everybody. You know, the, we produced that piece, Music for Eighteen, several times since then, um, and we have such awesome musicians in town. I mean, obviously, Thomas. Yeah. And many, many others. And and that was also, I think, a real important moment in, in our group, in Third Angle's kind of history, is is this realization that we had the musical resources in town to pull off music for 18. Yeah. Because it was four pianos, yeah. singers, nine yes. percussion, just a, 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 you know, a stage full of players. But everybody had to be great. And everybody was great. I mean, it was a really phenomenal performance. So Yeah, it really was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a turning point for Third Angle. I think, think so. Yeah. yeah. I, that was my first year leading the group. And <laughs> I give <laughs> Jeff Payton a lot of crap for it because 
he says, here, I, we think you should take over Third Angle. And I said, fine, what are we doing? It's like music for 18. And <laughs> like, Shit, how are we going to get – where would he find four, four pianos? And logistically, it was a nightmare. And then I said, well, why don't we bring out Steve and and begin that whole process? Um, I should say one, one other thing about the um, string quartet, um, uh, different trains, that was really, really special was that uh, one of the uh, subjects that was interviewed was a, a, a woman named Chella Krychek. Uh -huh. And and Chella was actually, her voice is on the soundtrack, and she lived in town at the time, and yeah. we introduced them. Steve, yeah. we introduced Chella to Steve. And it was a, just an amazing moment. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, the piece is a very human and intense and personal piece anyway, but it just made it even more so. Just by virtue of the fact that she was there and her reaction to hearing the piece was really, really stunning. I think Steve was really, really moved by it. And it must have been pretty pretty amazing to, to know that he was he was there at the soundboard. Well, yeah. My brother. I'd <laughs> hired my brother to be the engineer. Yeah, remember, Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we're trying to start the friggin' piece, right? Yeah. yeah. And Steve bumped a mute button on oh, the left yeah. side and we kept having false starts. Oh, and I was getting yeah. really pissed off. Yeah. I was looking at my brother. I was like, what are you doing? And he's like motioning at Steve like, I don't know what, what's going on. And finally, when Steve wasn't looking, Dan reached over and pressed the right button. We got started. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the foibles of uh, oh, as acoustic musicians. We always yeah. you know, deal yeah. with technology very cautiously. So you had been in Third Angle how long then? Well, I moved to Portland in 1990. I've been playing with the group off and on since then, and I've been the director for 14 years. This is my 15th year, actually. Yeah, I know, I know. Old fart. Turning 50 this year, dude. How is that possible? I don't know, man. I just, it's, <laughs> it's just crazy. It's crazy. What, how what, was your, what, what was your attraction to it when you first joined? Uh, well, I've, you know, I grew up in eastern Oregon. I grew up in Hermiston. And yes. We didn't have a lot of contact you, with Bartok and, and, or John Cage. Do people still give you shit about your people? Of course. They, yeah, but not they, they don't do that in Oregon. No. Because it's Oregon. Okay? Right. And everybody loves every part of Oregon. Right. Except people who are from some other place. Right. And think about Hermiston <laughs> as the the, the, the the watermelon capital yes. of the state. Yes. And whose chief landmark is a is a is a is a, is a little mountain shaped like a hat. <laughs> Right. Well, the big controversy this past year, there's there's a water tower, and they had a a logo of a watermelon or a half-eaten watermelon or something <laughs> on it. And I there was a a the, that was the graphic, but then the, the the there was a tagline. I think it said "Watch us grow" or "Watch it grow" or something. And uh, but they had had a, a controversy about that, and there was a raging controversy about the new tagline that was supposed to happen. I'm not sure if they've settled it yet, but, but you know, it's, you know, obviously I'm from Hermiston. I grew up there, graduated from high school there. And um, does everybody grow watermelons there? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Did you have watermelons growing in your, in your backyard? I had them growing in my room. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, we, we claimed whatever we could just to, to have a bit of, you know, balance with Pendleton, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, we lost to Pendleton Imagine High School. Imagine that. Imagine that. Having to, to compete with Pendleton. We lost to Pendleton High School in football 56 years in a row. Wow. Yes. Wow. Horrible. Horrifying. Tough to live down. That's 56 years. 56 years. 
Yeah, that's 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 not that's that's a tough one. Did you ever beat him? Finally. Finally. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. Did you play? No, no. I play any sports. Yeah, I played basketball. Did you? My dad was a basketball coach. Ah. Um. And uh, yeah, I I I played freshman year football freshman year, and then I got just knocked flat. I'll never forget it. And we were playing Pendleton as a matter of fact. A freshman team and I got laid out and I remember seeing stars. Oh no. And I was like I was like, screw this man. No way. Nope. Nope. That's it. Done. Good choice. <laughs> Very good choice. Yes. Instead of getting up and saying, He can't do that to yeah. me. I'm gonna get back Where in is there. He? Where yeah. Is he? I'm gonna get well, back in there. You know hit him hit him harder with my helmet this year. <laughs> This year, Hermiston won the state championship. Whoa! For football, for five A football. Well, congratulations! Thank you very much. I know. Well, we just we had a lot of faith in, in the Bulldogs. It was born in the, out in the Bulldogs. Oh, the Bulldogs. Yes, the Bulldogs of Hermiston. Yes. There you go. Oh yes, <laughs> proud Bulldogs. How did you get from Hermiston to the New England Conservatory? For God's sakes! I got there via Oberlin. Did you? Yes. Ah. I was all set to go to Washington State University. Uh huh. When I was growing up, my folks used to take me for violin lessons. It was a six-hour round trip every Saturday to Pullman. Wow. From Hermiston. And um, I was all set to go to college there. And then at the last minute, right about this time of year, right around May. Yeah. Um, no, it was, must have been a bit earlier than that. Yeah. Um, I had an old, uh, an old teacher, actually from Pendleton, who said, you really ought to check out Oberlin and send him a tape. And at the, in huh? those days, uh-huh. send him a tape and got into the school just i don't know how yeah and i said what the heck i'll go to oberlin I, I, that's uh, in ohio right? yes where, where in ohio is it? it's about half an hour south of cleveland okay we could see the the burning river yeah from a distance yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that's it's amazing how life you know can turn just on a dime like that i um you know, Oberlin, I had no idea that Oberlin was what it is, which is a fabulous music school, yeah. one of the top yeah. in the world. And yeah. So I, that's, you get back to your question about where I got turned on to, to class, new music, and that's where it happened for me. Really? Yeah. I had, my teacher at Oberlin, Greg Fulkerson, was a well-known um, specialist in contemporary music for the violin, and, mm-hmm. and conductor there, Larry Ratcliffe, who really inspired a lot of us to really um, um, understand that even understanding music and the and the commitment that it would take to really make it sound great. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm truly blessed with uh, the right advice at the right what, time. What is that commitment? Um, what is the commitment to really get to sound? It's the same commitment that you would give to anything, really. I mean, yeah. to Beethoven, Mozart. But it's also an understanding and a trust that with a lot of these pieces, you, you've had a lifelong relationship with them already, you know, with Bach, Mozart, yeah. and, th- and that with a contemporary piece, with a brand new piece that you're committing to a relationship for a long time. It's like meeting somebody. Yeah. And you're going to be friends. And you don't just say, okay, it's nice to meet you now. Yeah. Maybe we'll meet again with a lot of pieces, especially pieces that we commission. You know, it's it's a it's a lifetime commitment. Yeah. And that's that's really the lesson we learned there. And also just giving it the time. and It's risky. Yeah. Always. It's very risky. I mean, you you can... You know, you play the the masters, and you pretty much know people are going to like it. Exactly. You know. Right. And, and boy, it's not that way. Right. It's inherently, um, yeah. yeah it, a lot of times the pieces aren't going to work. 
and yeah. and the audience will not always blame the composer. Right. <laughs> blame you. They'll blame me. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. You know, right. That's okay. You, you learn to live with with that, um, and that's that's really no burden at all. It, um, it's it's exciting to understand uh, what what the composer is really about and understand what the composer is trying to say in a piece and then also just make that introduction to somebody else. You know, I've already gotten to know the composer at that point and the music. I've already made a commitment to it and I just want my friends to enjoy it. It's like, you know, having a really great recipe that you want to bring friends over to share a great meal with. Yeah. So it's the same thing. Yeah. So uh, why New England Conservatory? Uh, well, <clears throat> I took a year off and worked on a golf course. You did? <laughs> yes. What did you do? McNary. I, I edged traps. I mowed greens. and I Because you're a Bill Murray fan? Yes. Well, Did you do like Caddyshack material the entire pretty much. time? I actually had one job <laughs> where I uh, had a lot of jobs growing up. I, mean, I worked in lumber yards. I worked on farms. I did a lot of things. And for the golf course, I cut the, the cups, you know, where the, yeah. the pins go. I used to pull practical jokes on some of the members and put their – they'd hit a good shot, and if they didn't see their ball, I'd run up and put it in the hole. <laughs> I just yeah, – it was fun. Um, and, uh, and you were how old? Uh, I was 20. 20. One by that. Like that yeah. Just had graduated from Oberlin and yeah, yeah. thrilled my parents by putting that expensive college degree to use on the golf course. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I knew I was going to go back to school, and I needed a year off to kind of – you know, really, really understand that. And I got selected to go on a tour to Russia. Uh -huh. um, and it was a fabulous thing that Oberlin created, um, first of its kind, uh, an orchestra of half uh, Russian or Soviet students. I have to be careful saying this because they weren't just Russian. Right. They were all from all yeah. over the Soviet Union. Yeah. Moscow Conservatory students and half American students. Uh -huh. And we toured the United States for two weeks and then we toured Russia for two weeks. Wow. And, and that was before... Uh, Soviet Union split up. I mean, yeah. that was when the Baltic states were still a part of the Soviet Union. And so we were over there in Riga and yeah. Tallinn. And um, and actually, there are a few of the players, both Americans and, and from the Soviet side, that are living in Portland now, and we're, we're all friends. Uh -huh. But that was really – that was what got me off the golf course and back into <laughs> music and then pointed me towards New England Conservatory because I, I enrolled there shortly after that. Uh -huh. Still play golf? Uh, yeah, but I have teenagers now, so I don't play oh. as much. But I can still, you know, I can, I'll, I'll take you down. <laughs> Dollar a hole, Tom. Let's do it. <laughs> I can't even play miniature golf. I'm not, I'm not we have a few golfers in the orchestra, you know. Really? We, yeah, we've, you know, we used to do a lot more regional touring. Do you wear the funny outfits? <laughs> no, we just have the funny swings. No, it's the funny but, outfits. Come on. <laughs> you should play in our tails. That'd be a funny sight. That would be funny. No, we not played... any funnier than the golf out than, than the funny golf outfits, though. Well, or the funny <laughs> looking shots. I mean, yeah, we we have a lot of fun with it. So instead of so you 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 know you did your new New York Conservatory thing, and mm -hmm. uh, and unlike many others, you didn't go to New York. You didn't stay on the East Coast. You came home. Yeah. Why? Mm -hmm. Um. Oh, well, I could have stayed in Boston. I was starting to of get. Of course, you could have. I, I mean, I was starting yeah. to get some work, you know, with orchestras there, and um, and an opportunity to go to New York. I mean, that that was all available. I just there was a spring break 
I was coming home to visit my folks, yeah. and the week before I came home, I saw a notice of an audition for the Oregon Symphony, and it, and with a week to prepare, I just said, "What the heck? What the hell? I'll just do it. Let's yeah. go for it." Yeah. Flew out, took the audition, and uh, never forget for the finals. <laughs> they, it's often the case we have you know prelims, semifinals, and we have a final round. Yeah, I played the final round, and then I went to Lloyd Center with my mom to get some socks and then I yeah. got a call hey we want you to come back and play again whoa there were a couple of us that they couldn't decide between and I just walked out on stage and I remember uh, I, I said hey I got check out these socks and and I remember Jimmy started laughing and because I hadn't warmed up at all it had been like three or four hours since I played and I yeah. just said you know and now having been through other auditions and I've sat on committees too, I, you know, I think there's times in your life when you're too young and too stupid to really understand the stakes of something. Yeah. And that was clearly the case with me. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was fortunate to, to be hired. Actually, I hired both of us at the time. And, uh, what did you play when you came back? Do you remember? The solo piece was the Prokofiev First Violin Concerto. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal piece. Unusual for auditions. Uh-huh. But it was only when I knew. <laughs> so I didn't have a choice. Um, and uh, I was just, you know, it was at a time when the orchestra was expanding the section that was in a, in a growth mode under Jimmy. And yeah. uh, Jimmy and I became really good friends after that. And uh, Jimmy did, worked did, with me on projects. Did you find out that day? Mm-hmm. Sure. He told you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then I went back to Boston and all my friends were there saying, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Why are you going up there? Yeah. You should be staying here. and To Oregon? Or to Oregon. But here's, here's <laughs> the, here's the uh, awesome thing about that is that every single person from Boston that I remember telling me that yeah. lives here now. Really? Every single one of them. Wow. Yeah. You I bring can, them out here? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> they all got the invitation. I said, Lily, wait. Yeah, come on. I'll buy you a watermelon. Come on out for a visit. <laughs> they, and they're here. I, I'm not kidding. I could tell you four or five people that, yeah. that um, and actually a couple of them that grew up in Boston would have gladly stayed there, and they're here now too. And and you know and just just the kind of attitude that is expressed in from those people back then about why would you go there is now turned on its head because everybody wants to come here, not just I classical know. musicians. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, there, there's such a it's such a dynamic and fabulous place to live, and then culturally too, the orchestra is fantastic and the new music scene is great. There's just you know for a new music ensemble like ours. We would be one of forty or fifty in New York. Yeah, but yeah. the fact that we you're it. we're well, I mean, there are many others doing really great work in Portland right now. It's you're just it. Let's well, face it, come on. Well, you're we, it. we we do quite well. I'm yeah. I'm very proud of the the success we've had, but uh, but the fact is that it has it is not uh, it's not out there anymore. Yeah, it's like right here where it's happening, and yeah. we're doing we continue to do great projects that are really, really... So you have a really major event coming up on the 1st, right? Yes, indeed. What is it? Um, <laughs> we're bringing Alex Ross yeah. out from New York City. Yeah. Alex is the writer for The New Yorker. Yes. Published uh, several wonderful books, including The Rest is Noise, which is a fabulous history of 20th century music, yeah. uh, finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, a brilliant, brilliant book. And one of my fond fondest hopes with Third Angle was to do a live concert version of his book, if you will. At least part of his book, because, you know, 
century of music is too much to handle in one evening. Yeah. So I was in New York uh, a year ago, uh, oh, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now maybe, and I had the chance to meet him, and I pitched him the idea. I said, you know, it's, I was reading your book, and you know, it's it's you're reading the book, and then I see what or read what you're referring to in the book in terms of music, and I want to hear the music right then. I want to read it and I want to hear it. Uh-huh. So why don't we do a concert of that? Why don't we hear your words and then hear the music right directly? And actually, he's set up his blog to kind of do that. Yeah. Uh, but it's there's nothing like the actual performance. So, and it's been quite a journey. We're we're, we're focusing on West Coast composers, uh-huh. um, cool. and uh, including Lou Harrison, who's from Portland. Yeah. Grew up in Portland. Uh, a really great story to tell you about the John Cage piece we're doing. Yes. Check this out, Tom. This is totally cool. You know, Cage lived in Seattle for a while. Yeah. And he taught at um, at uh, Cornish School. Yeah. And that's when he was starting to think big th- thoughts about music and, and p- uh, ask big questions. And one of the first pieces of kind of that new version of Cage was Imaginary Landscape Number no. 1. Uh-huh. And that was composed in 1939 in Seattle. And it's composed for two turntables uh-huh. and percussion playing cymbal and prepared piano, which means the pianist reaches inside and makes noise. Yeah. And but the turntables play LPs uh-huh. that are frequency recordings made by Victor. Victor frequency recordings. And what that means is they, they play a straight tone uh-huh. and they're used to calibrate the machines. Because yeah. if the machine's playing at the right speed then the tone is in tune. That was the way they would you know in the thirties. But these records don't exist anymore. Uh-huh. So how can you, you can't play the piece. Yeah. How do you do the piece? Well, there's been some kids these days. <laughs> these kids. They have I, I, yeah, iPad apps and yeah. digital ways of doing it, but it's just right. not the same. Yeah. So I found a, a new best friend back east who actually recorded the original LPs. Wow. And my current best friend in town, Rod Evenson, who's a, an interesting guy and does a lot of recording of classical music around town, he actually has a, a lathe to make a new LP from the recordings that I was able to find. Wow. So we're able, we're going to produce new LPs Jeez. of the old sounds and uh-huh. use that to make it a more authentic performance of that piece. Wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're kind of nuts that way. That's great. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it's going to be totally cool. I, I'll never like, forget. I was at St. Mark's Church in New York one time and uh-huh. saw Cage, Merce Cunningham, and mm. William Burroughs all on the same mm. show. My God. I know. Wow. <laughs> it's one of those moments in your life that you just don't ever forget. No kidding. You know? <laughs> no kidding. Well, you know, Cage and Morton Feldman spent six hours in the radio station having a conversation, which is online. You know, check that out, and that's a fab, That's a wonderful conversation. I'll bet. To listen in on. I'll bet. Wait, look. Oh, good. <laughs> you were a little bit late because of traffic, uh-huh. and the next person on her way in, Belinda Underwood. <laughs> this is a little promo for a future okay <laughs> coffee shop conversation. Uh, it was is it going to be um uh, it has has pushed her schedule oh. back a half an hour. Oh, so we're just fine. Lucky me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, um, w- w- is that ready to go? Where are you in the, in the, Not yet. In the, I, I, the, the audio files 
are supposed to arrive any minute. <laughs> and and Rod, uh, I Evenson, I understand, stands ready next to his lathe, <laughs> ready to make the. And it's good because we have our first rehearsal in a few days, so we need to kind of bring it so, together. Okay, today is the 16th of, <laughs> yeah. of April. Yeah. And this is two weeks away. Yeah. And you're just having your first rehearsal. Monday. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. Is that normal? Uh, depends. <laughs> <laughs> we we did John Zorn's string quartet earlier this year. It was the hardest piece I've ever played. Wow. Hardest that's, piece. Yeah, that's saying something. Oh, my gosh. Just tremendous. Well, I mean, and it was an agreement that I had with John. Yeah. That we, I said, what's the hardest piece you've ever written? What he goes, was so hard about it? Oh, it's just it's technically just dense and difficult and jumps all over the place yeah. and fast. Uh-huh. And really wicked fast. Uh-huh. And also just highly organized and, and the parts are, are set up in such a way that it has to be together and in time. And, and it's about a 20-minute piece. I mean, it's just... You know, but when I, I I met with John in that trip where I, I uh-huh. met with Alex Ross as well, and and I just made him a deal. I said, you know, we're gonna play. Give give me the hardest piece you've ever written. Let's play it, and <laughs> and, and then I'll send you a tape and see what you think. So, um, and he loved it. He thought we really played. So it well. you sent him a tape of a rehearsal? No, concert. Oh, concert. Oh, concert. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah, we just got on stage and. He didn't come out here for that. No, but I, I'm hopeful that we can get him here based on that. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. We're we're talking with him, and he's doing fabulous things. And uh, interesting to see, you know, to re- reunite him with two of the other downtown guys who are, who are out here, Bill Frizzell and Wayne Horvitz. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, John's doing a lot of projects. He's doing something in L.A. on May 2nd, the day after Alex is here with us, uh-huh. with the L.A. County Museum of Art, and uh, recently had his big 60th birthday celebration around the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> big uh, music and uh, visual art piece at the Met in yeah. New York City. So, you know, and he's like, you know, he's so prolific these days with his compositions. He's writing a lot of really, really interesting, great music. Yeah. So. I remember seeing him in the, when was that? I guess it must have been in the, in the, in the 70s, mm-hmm. maybe late 70s, early 80s, mm-hmm. in a dive bar oh, in yeah. Manhattan yeah. playing solo to a bunch of drunks yep. who had no clue what he was doing yep. and didn't want to hear it because <laughs> he was honking and screeching. Oh yeah, you know. Oh yeah, and uh, uh, it was it was an amazing scene. But know? but but you know, and he there's lots of kinds of improvisation. Obviously, right. you know this, and John can handle most of them. Not just playing twelve bar blues. I mean, he can do that too. Oh yeah, yeah. brilliantly. Right. But he understands the if you will the new music improvisation style too. Yeah, the honking yeah. and the screeching. Yeah. And and there's always a method to it. There's it's there's art. There's oh sure, great great art there. Yeah, I mean I I there was like there was like me and like five other other people in 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 the place uh-huh. who who was who were like oh my god yeah this is John Zorn and he's like yeah you know, it's just him. Well, I mean the guy gets bored so fast. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean you hear that in his music and yeah. and, he, and a lot of his pieces, especially another string quartet of his called Cat and Nine Tails, which is kind of like. You're listening to it's like you're driving in a car and you just keep flipping through the stations. Yeah. And it could be cartoon music and then it could be classical music and then it could be jazz and it could be something. Yeah. And and his 
mind is operating so quickly and he just gets bored for so fast that he has to move on to the next idea. Yeah. I, that, that first Naked City album was like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. It starts, the one that starts out with a scream. Yes. Remember that? <laughs> sure. Just this blood-curdling scream. I, uh -huh. you know, I, I, I've, I've accidentally really scared people with that. <laughs> <laughs> you mean playing it back on, on, your, yeah, on the show? Yeah. Yeah. People upstairs going, "What's going on down there?" Well, you know, are you killing someone? The, 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 <laughs> every piece of his that I've had occasion to play, and it hasn't been enough of them, and I want to play a lot more of his stuff, yeah. especially these days. Um, this last string quartet was really, really, really interesting because at first glance, and this has been the way it's been with Third Angle forever, <laughs> where I get turned on by a piece and I come to my friends and I say, "Let's do this," yeah. and they look at it and they're like. Oh, like Charles Noble, he always tells me, he goes, Ron, I've been cursing your name for the last week. He's cursed my name probably more than anybody. Um, but with John, like all great composers, there's, there's, there's the introduction, and then there's the, the invitation, and then there's the inspection, and then there's – but then you're drawn in, and uh -huh. the journey is worth it. The yeah. inspection is worth it because yeah. the more you dig – into the piece, the more you will get, and, and it's always worth it. It's uh, There's always reward yeah. to doing that, and especially in that string quartet, The Alchemist, which, you know, after once you get past the shock kind of treatment of having to learn all these freaking hard notes, <laughs> you begin to hear the references to Beethoven. You hear the references to uh -huh. um, uh, to George Crumb. Am I sure? What does that say? Uh, it says, read it upside down, music might be defined as a system of proportions in the service of a spiritual impulse. That's wow. on my T-shirt. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I'm total. I'm a music geek. What's the T-shirt? Hey, man, if you pay me five bucks, I'll do three against two. <laughs> Chicks love that at a party. It really works. <laughs> no, but John's piece, John, and, and so it, I, I can't say enough about John. Love him, yeah. love his music, and another guy like Reich, who lets you know, yeah. tells you very directly, yeah. this is great, this sucks, yeah. there's no in between. What's working with Ross like? Uh, well, we'll know when he comes. Oh. <laughs> uh, he he's been wonderful uh -huh. thus far. You know, the process for for me has been, uh, dude, man, you need to you need to work on that that tone. I, I can't help it. No, I can give you. I can set you up. <laughs> I bet you can. I can. I bet you can. Yeah, I, I got. I got a lot of. I'll, I'll send you something. That's, they may not have heard that because of the, how how we mic this, but my. my <laughs> I'll, okay, I'll I'll put it on. All right, I'll let's let's off, let's I'll, hear let's hear how the personal no, soundscape that you live no, with no, no. Tom, every I day. Will, I will put it on. I will put it on vibrate. No, it's okay. It's you know, this this is what our Mary Schaefer called our soundscape. Yeah, Kate would call it music. You know, I don't, and I don't know why it isn't that important to me. What well, should be the tone? The, yeah, the ringtone. Uh, yeah, it should be, but it isn't. But uh -huh. I'm I'm gonna get a I, I I'm gonna get an S an S six in the next month or so. Uh huh. I'll 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 change the ringtone to something cooler. Well, when when my wife calls me, my ringtone is um, here, boy. <laughs> That's a joke, honey. Just a joke. Um, 
your kids play? No, my kids are athletes at this point. They, they're really talented musicians, but we, we huh. gave up that battle. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Athlete. My son's a soccer player. Yeah? His team, Central Catholic Rams, won the state championship this year. There you go. He'll play soccer in college next year at Oregon Tech. Wow. My daughter's a swimmer, and she's junior at Grant High School. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're all in here. We're Portlanders through and through. There you go. Oh, 100%. Except when, they, except when you take them to Hermiston. <laughs> <laughs> then, hey man, Hermiston's kicking ass. They, they become we, part of the hat. I tell you what, man, Hermiston, it, it, it's not even a comparison now with Pendleton. And my dad moved to Pendleton, of all things, which <laughs> is like stunning and traitorous. But um, <laughs> it, there, so there's there is a a rivalry a la sure. Portland and Seattle. Yes, and Hermiston is the Portland. Yeah, of the two, right? <laughs> Right. Although, you know, years ago, we did a big project, Third Angle. I'll tell the story in my Third Angle board will roll their eyes as they hear this for the millionth time. But years ago, we did a project in Keller Fountain Uh and Pettigrove Park and Lovejoy Fountain, which are fabulous places. I see a picture of you in the fountain. Yes, Yes. in the fountain. And we actually put a piano in the water. Wow. Just kind of cool visual thing. And and it's a fabulous story, you know, the, the architect who designed those parks, yeah. Lawrence Halper and his wife, Anna Halper, was a famous dance choreographer. And, yeah. and they were contemporaries of of Terry Riley and Lamont Young. And yeah. uh, so there's a great musical story and, you know, a dance story and a re- cultural story to tell about Bay Area in the 1960s. And and the, the creative legacy of those people in Portland. I mean, when you go to Keller Fountain, you have to understand what you're seeing. Yeah. And especially if you walk up that park sequence, the Lovejoy Fountain, then you understand that this is like Mecca for landscape architects uh-huh. around the world that come, and it's a very, very important kind of place. Um, anyway, uh, what were we talking about, Tom? <laughs> uh, 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 Hermiston. Hermiston. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, 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 because yeah. we, I got into it with a writer in Seattle. Uh-huh. Who saw our public publicity for our parks thing? Yeah, and she it was a writer, and she made a some snarky comment about Portland and what do they think they're doing? <laughs> Portland is a go kart town, and oh, Seattle's geez. a Mercedes town. Oh and, man! And she was just nasty, and I I I posted, I responded, I just said, listen, I said next time. Um, the Oklahoma City Thunder yeah. <laughs> comes to town, and you really want to see a basketball game. You come to Portland, and I'll make sure you get in. <laughs> That's funny. Crickets. Didn't hear anything from her after that. Of course, that probably didn't matter to That's her. That's funny. <laughs> well, you know, it's like that's like where I come from, Baltimore, Washington. Baltimore's always sure. the, the, there's a lot of shit on. Well, Baltimore's American League. Washington's but but do you guys have like subway series there between now now yeah what's that like the knots with the knots I call them the knots they're off to a tough start good well they're a shortstop man can't throw the ball none of them can six errors in four games none of them can you should have had eight errors that guy sucks yeah (laughs) well and the other thing is the Orioles were a were a major market team until they moved the uh, the Expos. Anyway, oh okay. <laughs> don't don't get me started on that. All right. No, I just I remember growing up and watching Orioles games. I, I loved Earl Weaver and uh, yes. Jim Palmer and uh, yes. all those guys. Yeah, man, it was an awesome team. I covered the team. No kidding. Oh yeah. yeah. 
yeah. When did when was Camden Yards? Uh, Camden Yards was the early nineties. Right. Early nineties. What was the park like before that? Oh, Memorial Stadium. Yeah. Oh, it was a mess. It was a wreck. <laughs> it was an old piece of shit. But we loved it. It didn't have a roof. Right. The whole entire upper deck was open. Oh no. And there was a section there, section thirty-four. Uh huh. There was, there was an, the the iconic Wild Bill Hagee, who was a cab driver. <laughs> Of immense proportion, his personality. <laughs> he would get at the bottom of the ramp in section 34. Now, ever, see, in those days, you could sit anywhere you wanted. Right. 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 And, sure. and the tickets were really cheap. Yeah. And so people would go every night. Sure. Right. And and he would get down to the bottom of the ramp, and wave his cowboy hat, <laughs> and with his arms and legs spell out O R I O L E S, and the entire stadium would say it along. <laughs> Yell O R I O L E S <laughs> as he formed the letters with his arms and legs. I'll be darned. I did the first national TV story on him. Uh, I had a press pass in those days, uh-huh. but I would go to the press box, get my get, you know get my dinner, uh-huh. you know, and then go up to section 34 and not sit in the press box because you oh, can't yeah. cheer. You are not allowed to cheer in the press box. I see. I see. Uh, and uh, so it was you know um, I went the last game Memorial Stadium uh-huh. was. A mass male cry. Oh yeah, I'll bet. Everybody saw. Everybody, you know, was, yeah. it was some major part of their life. You know, yeah, was yeah. going away. Yeah. And everybody cried. Yeah. I'll bet. I, my my summer job in Boston was uh, busking in the subways. Really? Yeah. Wow. Buddy and I, we would play. <laughs> Ina Klein and Ock music just over and over and over again. It was the only piece that made any money. A cellist friend and I, uh-huh. and we, we actually got notes from time to time from people that would say, um, why don't you learn something new? <laughs> and, and so we tried it. We tried to the Ravel duo once, and no one stopped, so we just went back to playing Anna Klein. And we made a, we made a shitload of money. Really? We, we did really well. And the reason I tell you this is because we went to Red Sox games. Yeah. I went to practically every home game. Did and yeah, the bleacher seats were like six bucks, five, yeah, six right. bucks, and right, right. I learned a lot of new words. I expanded my <laughs> vocabulary, and this was the year after Buckner let it go through his oh, life. Oh, jeez. So, you know, they still, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had yeah, uh, yeah. great characters, and, uh, you know, and I, I, the, the, yeah. the Harvard stop was just a few stops away from Fenway. There, there, so. there were amazing things that happened in Section 34. <laughs> I'll bet. You could, you, it's, I mean, and first of all, we all hated Reggie Jackson. Because he was an Oriole, and then he left to oh, the Yankees. Okay? I didn't know that. Oh, so he was there one night playing for the for the Angels. Yeah, and and we all did things en masse. If you if you if you hear the national anthem at, at Camden Yards now, yeah. when they get to oh, oh say can you right yeah. at the, at, at later on in the tune, yeah. everybody yells oh. We started uh-huh. that. Oh. Anyway, so so everybody got up and yelled. And pointed to him and went, hey, Reggie Jackson. And of course, he got all puffed up, right? <laughs> and then we said, you piece of shit. <laughs> this is hundreds of people, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't happy. Yeah, well. I saw, I saw Gedman. Gedman was the all-star catcher for the Red Sox yeah. when, when I used to go to games. I remember... Yeah. Uh, a game, and and he was he was the all star, and the Red Sox were just tearing him a new one. And I saw it the only game in Major League history with two triple plays in the same wow. game. Really? So um, I mean, you know, what better <laughs> summer job? You know, it was tax free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess on 
in light of tax day, I could say that. Um, <laughs> and it was a great, and actually, you know, I really learned a lot about performing then because, you know, really that, that's, that's what real performance is about. You have to get people's attention. You have yeah. to hold it yeah. for the couple minutes they're willing to spend with you. And then they, you know, make some compensate you. I, 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 is, is the Ross piece the final um, third angle piece for the, for the season? That's the final concert on our, on our regular season. We do an event in June called uh, Porch Music. Uh-huh. Where in our in Irvington neighborhood where I live, we have uh, five porches and five little ensembles, and the <laughs> audience circulates amongst the porches, and it's a walking musical tour of the neighborhood. Um, and that's a really nice thing to do. And the week before that, we're going to be in New York City playing the Dang on a Can Marathon. Wow. Uh, two uh, pieces that we've commissioned. One of them with poetry, original poetry by Matthew Michael Dickman, uh-huh. who will be performing with us. Wow. And a really wonderful composer from New, uh, Chicago, L.J. White, who's up and coming. And another composer from Australia, uh, Julian Day. And we're doing all new pieces of theirs. So. Wow. Yeah, yeah, totally cool stuff. And a big platform for us. And uh, I think really? representing Portland, I think, nicely. And an international kind of festival. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're doing very well and uh, well supported. We've got great audiences and a great city that, that backs us. So wow. it's all good, man. It's so good. let's see. Uh, it's the 16th, and you're supposed to announce the new schedule on yes. the 17th. But this is going to be this is going to go up in a couple of weeks. Okay. So can we run what it are down? We like for yeah, for next year. Um, we have two big projects. <laughs> Each year we do two to three what we call big ones. We call they form a concert series. Yeah. And then we have the studio series at Zoomtopia on um, Belmont and Ninth uh-huh. on the East Side. Um, the big projects next year, uh, we're going to be at the um, Mount Angel Library, uh-huh. um, designed by Alvar Alto, famous Finnish architect, one of only two buildings in the United States that he designed. And we'd, we've done a series of music and architecture projects over the years, yeah. and this is the latest one where it's going to be contemporary Finnish music. Huh. We're um, Actually, you may know this already, Tom, but Duke Ellington performed at the debut of that library in 1971. His orchestra performed in the circulation. <laughs> Jeez. So we're going to turn the that fabulous, amazingly brilliant architectural space into yeah. a musical installation uh-huh. on an afternoon. And so we want audiences to come out and and energize that that public space. Yeah. Uh, the other big concert next year is So Percussion. We're doing a Reichenalia. We've that Reich concert has yeah. turned into something we call Reichenalia, uh-huh. and we're doing drumming. Wow. With so percussion and uh, friends from Portland, and also sextet, which is another kind of iconic Reich piece, uh-huh. and that'll be at Montgomery Park in the atrium. So we turn that architecture space into something totally cool. Awesome. Uh, the five concert series that we call the studio series, and we're bringing Claire Chase. This is really really exciting. Yeah. Claire is um, the director of the Ice Ensemble, International Contemporary Ensemble. She's a flutist. Uh-huh. Uh, won the MacArthur Genius Award a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, and is responsible for hundreds, if not thousands, of new pieces that she's commissioned over the years. Just a, and and really the poster child for musical entrepreneurship these days. You know, a lot of conservatories are pushing out a lot of students, very fewer and fewer orchestra jobs, yeah. and and more and more uh, conservatories are training students how to be business people and uh-huh. develop their own thing. Yeah. And Claire and her group have done fabulous stuff. And she's just a brilliant uh, flutist, and she's doing a recital. That's one. We're doing all Dutch music. Wow. 
contemporary Dutch music, which is totally cool because, you know, the whole storyline about Dutch culture and the support from the government, yeah. the ways that artists are allowed to be really creative and cutting edge stuff there. Um, hearing Voices, uh, Matthew and Michael are performing the piece we're doing in New York here uh-huh. this time, a new piece by Jay Dudarian, local composer, and then also Howell, um, the, the, the Ginsburg poem accompanied by a string quartet by Lee Hyla. Howell, by the way, the poem was premiered in Portland. Yeah. Not many people know that. Yeah. See, that's three. Um, the f- <laughs> space out. That's okay. I'm turning 50. You it's know, all right. In a month. Um, what else are we doing? <laughs> yeah, that's the magic number. Oh, we're doing Cage Feldman. Oh, yeah. Conversation where we use right. their recorded voices. Yeah. And we're going to do actually, I think, the West Coast premiere of a new piece by Feldman that was just discovered in the last couple of years. Jeez. So that's pretty cool. Um, that is pretty cool. Yeah. And then the fifth one, I can't remember. That's all right. <laughs> Sorry, Lisa. <laughs> Lisa Volley's listening to it. She's going to kick my ass. And ah, deservedly right. so. But it's a it's a great season. It keeps us yeah. busy, you know, with... Oh, I'll bet. Well, yeah, seven, pretty much a, a concert every month, which is rigorous. So where do you go from here? You mean today? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, the symphony has the gala at six o'clock, oh, and then geez. at seven thirty, or is it seven? Seven thirty. Yeah. Uh, tonight we're presenting Jacob Cooper um, and Melissa Hughes. They're from New York. Jacob composed a song cycle called Silver Threads, uh-huh. um, and it's computer-generated music. And Melissa is a phenomenal uh, soprano from New York, and we brought yeah. them. And they're performing that song cycle. Based, uh, he, he commissioned friends to write original haiku uh-huh. as the text, and it's just absolutely stunningly beautiful, gorgeous stuff. So we're well. I better, I better let you go. Yeah, <laughs> I got to take <laughs> my kids to swimming. I really appreciate you spending the time here. Oh, my pleasure, uh, man. You, man, it's a, great to see you. you back great schedule. to see you. I, I look at that 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 uh, that Reich piece too very fondly. I yeah. mean, that was a real. You were a part of that, Tom. I really, really appreciate it. Well, it was a great experience. Yeah. Well, it was, and it was a brilliant, the way you told that story was really, really wonderful. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. See you. I'll see you around. Okay. Okay. We'll go to a baseball game, dude. I'm I'm for it. (laughs) 